Hey everyone, welcome to Adventures in Dialogue. This is the fourth episode and in it I talk with friend Stephen Smith about regenerative farming and what the word regenerative means in context. Stephen is one of the founders of Owned a Wellness, a whole hemp CBD company. They make tinctures, balms, and oils that are super cool and retain plant nutrients. So instead of a clear oil, what you'll get with Onda is a darker green color, which means that it has uh, a lot of the plant still in it. Not only does Onda work with farms on regenerative land, but they're also working to create a more circular and regenerative business model. This episode is meant to highlight and give us a better understanding of the word regenerative. And I think that there are some great takeaways around the bigger changes happening in the world of commerce. I guess the other thing I should mention is this is for entertainment purposes only. And even though we talk about the wellness benefits of CBD, which are plenty, I'm not offering any medical advice. So just have to throw that in there. Anyhow, thanks for listening and enjoy. Onda, uh, or, or you know, Onda Wellness is the full name of the company. We're uh, we focus on uh, hemp and, and other herbs that are grown uh, from regenerative land. So uh, our our kind of core, well, our mission statement is to heal people, empower farmers, and support the regeneration of the earth. And we're really excited about continuing to use hemp as a mechanism to empower food producers. Really, at its core, you know, hemp and uh, as our kind of main ingredient is a way for people that are growing organic, biodynamic, uh, regenerative uh, food uh, or food from, from regenerative lands, right? Like mm-hmm. there's kind of like a specific way of speaking about it, not to be too rigid, but uh, just to be more accurate, uh, using hemp to kind of give them a bit of a financial bumper, also biological diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we create Onda, Onda oil, which is yeah. a slow infusion uh, process. And that oil goes into capsules, uh, tinctures, balms, things like that. And we're coming into, well, I guess it was our fifth year since conception. So, so yeah, so Ondas really exist to bring back ancient hemp medicine to the people in a way that is disruptive and hopefully proving that uh, this alternative model is viable. The al- alternative model really is uh, paying our farmers what they ask, paying them a living wage above market price for their hemp, uh, and, and offering people really the cleanest natural hemp medicine that you can produce because of the way we farm and the way we make the oil is really different from pretty much anyone else. Um, so, yeah. And just to kind of back up for a second, because I think um, the way you're talking about Onda is as more of a holistic company feels different than how potentially you started more concentrated on CBD or are you, are you specifically talking about it separately just as you've refined your messaging around your product? I I guess the question is, are you specifically a CBD company or are you moving toward more of a hemp based company and, um, like economy. Yeah. I think, uh, we've always been, uh, what we call, we coined the phrase whole hemp. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's kind of like saying, you know, are you, uh, an orange juice company or are you a yeah. vitamin C company? 
Got it. And so that's a way to look at it because what we produce uses CBD as one of the, the active, the, the highest, um, most uh, kind of the active ingredient in all of our products is, is uh, cannabidiol, which is CBD uh-huh. for short. But we really don't talk about it as a CBD product because it's so much more than that. Because of the way this plant works in our body, it's really important to retain all of the other nutrients from chlorophyll, right? Mm-hmm. So if you see a product that's clear, it's junk to us. Like in my opinion, it's not that interesting. Chlorophyll, polyphenols, fatty acids, plant sterols, CBD, CBG, you know, trace amounts of THC, all of that stuff is really important in the efficacy of the overall product. So uh, that, but also we're really, we're making a lot more herbal products because a lot of the herbal products on the market are extracts, just like CBD products are extracts, but we do mm-hmm. infusions. The difference is really, do you want to strip off uh, compounds off the plant or do you want to marry all of the compounds of the plant into an oil? So, you know, like the Adios Anxiety product, which kind of speaks to what it does, it has ashwagandha, gota peppermint, lemon balm, all these things. And instead of using an extract of those, uh, those plants, we get mm-hmm. them whole and we slow infuse them. So, so it's a hemp company, it's a plant medicine company. And yeah. part of that is getting people in the framework to um, appreciate the nutrients of the plants in a whole form, but also it speaks yeah. to our desire and plans to continue to expand into, you know, other, other types of, of, of natural plant medicine that can be grown on these regenerative and biodynamic farms. So real quick, what's the distinction between biodynamic farming and regenerative agriculture? Yeah. So biodynamic farming is kind of the original regenerative organic certification and standard. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the highest, uh, you know, if you go to Europe, it's, it's, it's everywhere, you know, like people know that certified biodynamic is the gold standard or platinum standard. You can't use the term biodynamic unless you're certified by Demeter. And the upside to that as a brand is that I know that when I launch something that's certified biodynamic, it's a guarantee to the consumer that is the highest quality or regenerative organic farming on the planet. Regenerative is not a certification. It's not defined by anyone. It's, it's kind of this, you know, uh, ever evolving space that we're working in. And you see a lot of people appropriating that terminology and just kind of using it as a buzzword, unfortunately, like sustainable or natural was, and even organic has been. So biodynamic is protected. It's protected from the greenwashing. It's protected from the fakers, the hacks, the people that just don't really care about this beautiful opportunity, uh, but rather want to kind of capitalize on a buzzword. Um, So, you know, regenerative is at its core improving, right? Sustainable is kind of flatlining. Regenerative is, is looking at a baseline and going up. And that baseline would be, you know, water systems, biological activity in the soil, biodiversity, uh, carbon sequestration, all these things that we can measure the vitality and health of the soil or a landscape or a farm or an ecosystem, and then taking data points with time to see that they are improving, you know, meaning it's increasing the plant life and there's more life, you know, that's really what it comes down to. So, you know, the practices are regenerative, the farming mm-hmm. is regenerative. It's coming from a place that is, is being managed with regenerative practices. Um, and, uh, 
really the only certifications for that, the one we really get behind is Land to Market, which is from the Savory Institute. That's because it's data-based. Um, so Kassad Family Farms, who we work with, they, they measure the soil, and then basically we're in a five-year cycle with them where we're looking at improvement to the soil based on their practices. The goal really is to sequester more carbon, pull it out of the atmosphere back into the ground, uh, and, and improve all the aspects of, of that farm as an ecosystem. And, you know, most of the certifications out now come from Biodynamic, which was uh, brought to us by Rudolf Steiner in 1924 when he gave a talk called Agriculture that basically outlined the concept of looking at the farm as a living ecosystem. Uh, that's why our mission statement is so relevant. We look at the body, the farm, and the earth, and they're all body forms. They're all yeah. systems seeking balance and, and, and vitality. So Rudolf Steiner uh, inspired a, a whole group of, of folks to, uh, to treat their farm as this kind of living organism, to feed it from within and to create vitality from within, as opposed to bringing in external inputs, uh, which he says if a farm is sick or if a body is sick, you know, you're looking at that kind of um, – the farm would be considered sick if you're bringing in, you know, fertilizers and stuff from offsite. So the real, the real goal is to create that vitality from within. So would that be considered like a closed loop model or? Yeah. And I mean, metaphor. it's, we, we, we support our farmers decisions to do what's best for them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy for brands or people that are uh, in the industry, but not farming to, fall into what should or shouldn't be done based on maybe dogma or, or certain other perspectives. But the goal is to be as closed loop as possible. One example that came up with, with some, some friends in Southern California is, well, what if there's a bunch of food waste at some local restaurants? Like we want to be able to make use of that. Of course, that's amazing. But we're talking about not bringing in, you know, fertilizers or, you know, trucking in too too much from offsite. Cause of course, then you're, you're, you've got a larger carbon footprint, so anyway, point is like every farm's different, every landscape is different, every situation requires, you know, uh, decisions to be made for for that that goal, but less prescriptive, you know, less like everyone has to jump through these hoops, but rather, what are your outcomes? It's outcomes based. That's why land and market is so great as well. So, with regenerative, do you think that there's an implication around balance in that sort of catch-all term, and then? So to put it on a maybe a spectrum, it's like sustainability is just sustaining. Regenerative is improvement, but is there an indication of balance? And then biodynamic farming is is wholly balanced and checked out for the feasibility of that. Is that a way to think of it on a scale or? I mean, balance to me is a part of... Uh, I mean, balance is relevant in even to our product. The whole point of, you know, using onda oil is to help the body get to homeostasis so that it can regenerate and and become more productive and and healthier and happier. So the same could go for the farm. I mean, I think finding, seeking balance means uh, nature, nature seeks balance. And Mm -hmm. these practices want to support the highest functioning of nature, which includes biodiversity so that things can function on, on, they can be there highest expression of themselves when, when everything's in balance and at equilibrium, that's, that is definitely kind of core to, to all of it. 
So in terms of the work that you're doing and working with farmers, what are kind of the specific initiatives or opportunities that you're working on to create more of that regeneration and, you know, continue to, I guess, close the loop on what you're working on? Yeah, I mean, we work with two farms right now. Most of what, what we use in our products comes from Kassad Family Farm. They grow about 100 tons of food for uh-huh. Central Oregon. So they're not large by industrial standards, but they're certainly way bigger than a market garden. You know, they've got 80 acres or so of, of uh, veggies under cultivation. And if we can be a piece in that puzzle and we can contribute to the biodiversity of the, of, of the landscape and, and help with, uh, help with the soil, um, mm-hmm. and, and also help with the bottom line by paying them, you know, good money for, for their hemp. You know, we look at the food they create and produce as, as medicine, just like we do the hemp or herbs or, or anything else as, as well as the livestock. So, you know, the things that we're trying to do that are a bit different, uh, really revolve around not being a part of the commodity industrial model, not following market price, paying them what, what we agree is fair, uh, being pretty much independent from what, what, whatever the industrial commodity system says we should do. And, and a big part of that is, is, you know, there, there's a very, um, there's basically the, the social, the, the equity part of it is that, um, we're contributing to a fair wage for, for people who are some of the hardest working and smartest folks I know to mm-hmm. hopefully make a living. I mean, we're, we're a small company, but we continue to grow. And the goal is to uh, support them uh, in whatever ways makes the most sense for their ecosystem. And then to look at this model scaling into other partnerships, you know, we would never ask them to monocrop their whole field with hemp because that's completely incongruous to our whole mission, which is biodiversity, but rather how can hemp as we scale, how can hemp play a, um, a crucial role into, to the, the financial and biological stability and growth of other organic regenerative biodynamic food producers. I mean, that's, that, that's like the really sweet and exciting spot for us. So yeah, it feels really disruptive and very different. I don't really think anyone else is is doing that in in the hemp CBD or cannabis world that that I know of. Yeah, and just, you know, thinking about sort of the broader marketplace for products like CBD or supplements, it's obviously grown quite a bit in the last few years and helping people understand what they're buying and just how to evaluate products um, like the ones that you're selling and, and in general, what are sort of watchouts or the pitfalls that you're seeing as far as messaging and how things are being marketed. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, this is like the oldest, one of the first crops we've ever cultivated as human beings. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's only the last, you know, 80 or a hundred years that we haven't had access to cannabis medicine. So in essence, what we're doing is very old. It's a very old yeah. idea. It's very old technology, but there's obviously a lack of understanding and education and context for most consumers. But we try to make as many analogies as possible and education is paramount. But the way we try to explain it to folks is like, you know, do you want to consume white bread that's been very processed or do you want rustic bread that has whole grains in it? Do you want fresh squeezed orange juice or do you want emergency powder? You know, do you, what's, and then that, that kind of, that mindset, that analogy makes a lot of sense to people because, 
the processing is really important to us. How is this product made? You know, not all products are equal. There's a huge difference between your, your local microbrew and, and Coors Light, right? The gas station CBD, most of it is junk and who knows if it, it's probably over processed and over extracted and could have actually come from hemp that was used to clean up toxic soil. You just never know. Doing your research, looking at lab reports, uh, having a conversation with the brands to figure out where they're sourcing it from, what are their values. Do they even know the farmer? Do they, do, most brands I think are just selling uh, kind of random extract bought from a, a, a producer. So, you know, I'm not here to bash, but uh, I think it's important to, to, to do your research when you can. And the folks that want to share that information are proud of it. You know, like we're mm. really proud to promote our farm and we're really proud to talk about, you know, how, how long it takes to make our, our slow infusion oil and all those things. So yeah, education is, is massive and it's, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly a big challenge, not to mention being censored and restricted and, and, in all these ways through social media and Google and whatnot. It's, it's kind of wild to think that, you know, our, our goal is to help people and farmers and, and the earth. I mean, truly it comes from a very Mm -hmm. pure place we can't really uh, sell our, our product very easily. You know, some of yeah. the bigger brands who must be, uh, must have big budgets and work with big advertising agencies who are in bed with Facebook or Instagram, they're getting around the, the obstacles, but uh, it's the same old story. You know, the high quality, smaller producers are always up against more challenges. So is it, if I understand correctly, then is there an advertising ban on CBD products on social media or larger platforms, or is it uh, just the, you know, sort of the algorithm, Censorship. whatever the, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a group of us uh, of brands that have actually come together to try to uh, raise awareness around the censorship and shadow banning on Instagram and Facebook, you know, hemp is federal, federally legal, since yeah. the farm bill in 2018, I guess it was, or yeah, 2018. And yet there's still uh, suppression of anything, hemp, cannabis, CBD related, mm-hmm. whether that's big pharma or it's just the financial institutions that are in bed with big tech. It's hard to say. Uh, we can't advertise on Google, no Google AdWords, none of that okay. stuff. Uh, you do see brands on Facebook and Instagram, but again, I think they're just buddy, buddy somehow with these organizations. And we've made a number of, uh, appeals and, and we've, mm-hmm. we've said, Hey, th- there's 30 examples of brands that are violating your, your terms and they keep advertising. Yeah. Uh, can you at least, I mean, that's fine. They can do that, but can you at least let us play in the, in the, in the, in the sandbox? And, um, it's like, we're just blacklisted or something, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's really wild. So, well, and so then how are you sort of getting your message out there and how are you able to connect with, uh, customers? You know, word of mouth is huge because once people have our product, they realize that it's just so much better than most of what's out there. Uh-huh. Uh, it works better because we're not over-processing and stripping the nutrients away. Uh, word of mouth is huge. We have a great community of, of people, athletes, artists, ambassadors, um, folks that, that can help us spread the word. And then just kind of, you know, cultivating our own audience, you know, using emails and, and communication tools to share information and and, uh, and kind of enrich people's lives that way is great. So it's, it's working. I mean, you know, we're a bootstrapped mm-hmm. company and, uh, kind of looking at maybe our first raise here pretty soon, but otherwise it's, it's just been, um, 
yeah, blood, sweat, and tears, and and yeah. just grinding <laughs> to fight the good fight to to get something special out to to people. So slow yeah. and steady, I guess. Well, and I know you've done so many cool events and just able to bring yeah, so many different true. types of people together and uh, to experience the product. That seems to be a great way to go as well. I think now, especially with people being able to do more social events, people are looking for um, places to connect over different types of product and just have different experiences after spending so much time kind of isolated in COVID and it seems like that could be a good way to reach people in a, I guess, more direct way. Yeah, that's true. Um, Pre-COVID events were huge for us to be able to, for me, <laughs> to go yeah. sit behind a booth and chat with people one-on-one. It was it was great and pro- probably should plan on doing more of that, you know, as things continue to open back up. Yeah. And so just for anybody that doesn't know how CBD works or what the benefits of it are, do you want to explain a little bit about that and specifically OnDef? Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting and, and, and relatively straightforward. You know, the body has an endocannabinoid system or ECS, which was discovered no more than 35 years ago in Israel. Mm-hmm. And that system functions as a master regulatory system communicating with different parts of the body with an overall intention or, or function to help us arrive back at homeostasis. So mm-hmm. for those of you, for those of us that are never anxious, never inflamed and always sleep, good for you. Uh, you are among the minority. And uh, for the rest of us that, that deal with some of, you know, the rest of what life uh, brings us in, in, in those regards, you know, the body produces anandamide, uh, which is a, a endocannabinoid. So it's a molecule that is literally the same molecular structure as the cannabinoids that are produced in plants, mm-hmm. mostly in cannabis. And so the body will produce anandamide, which is also known as the uh, bliss molecule, which contributes to runner's high or any sort of like, you know, um, euphoric feeling during flow state. You know, there's mm-hmm. a big connection between all these things. And then 2-AG, which is another endocannabinoid, and those uh, naturally occurring cannabinoids in the body uh, bond with the receptors, the CB1 and 2 receptors. But what happens for folks that either have a deficiency where those cannabinoids aren't produced in the body naturally or the enzymes are, are so effective at breaking them down before they are able to interact with our receptors, you consume onda oil. And what happens is the, you know, our product comes in and acts as a martyr, mm-hmm. and basically the enzymes bond to onda oil. Um, the, the the CBD molecule looks much like the you know cannabinoid molecules in the cannabinoids we produce. So basically, kind of runs block. So our bodies can function independently. You know, so it's actually it's a passive ingredient. So if you if you feel anxious or you know your mind is racing and you can't sleep, and you take an onda product. Basically, you're allowing your body to, to to function on that that higher level because of 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 this kind of supporting the function of that system. Basically, so those are the three kind of main reasons people take uh, our product is for anxiety, sleep, and then inflammation or soreness. And then you know that's the whole goal is to get us back to center line so that we can be ourselves. That's, that's the goal. And, uh, 
you know, obviously we support healthy diet, um, good lifestyle, meditation, exercise, all of those things are crucial. This is just one piece of it, you know? Yeah. And it sort of works on the physiological level as well. And I think, you know, the conversation now around wellness is starting to move more into that somatic space and talking about emotional regulation and things like that. And so there's obviously so many ways to come at that. And, you know, I'm curious too, just what you're seeing as far as how the wellness conversation has been evolving, particularly over the last year. Um, Is it speeding up? Does it feel like a conversation that is advancing rapidly and there's always something new to talk about? Or do you feel like people are still kind of becoming familiar with these concepts and it's a bit more of a gradual unfolding of understanding the body's not only physical system, but that sort of like emotional layer and the, you know, holistic, I guess, if you want to compare it to Chinese medicine, like the energetic piece of it as well and how all of those systems are interacting. Because I feel like within a wellness conversation, a lot of times people are talking about the body system from different perspectives. And so I guess just curious how you're seeing those different conversations converge and if it's rapid or kind of a gradual merging of different perspectives. Mm. Well, I think from like a higher, a higher level, you know, the, the context is important. Like as humans, we are exposed to way more stimulation and information than we've ever been exposed to. And I think the evolution of our culture, if you'll call it that, or our reality Mm -hmm. is kind of, it's like, it's ramping up in a way that our biology can't really keep up with. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of look at all of it as tools. You know, I I think of it very functionally, maybe in a masculine perspective as a toolkit, as a box of tools. Mm -hmm. And what can I do to be the best version of myself given all the noise and toxins and overstimulation and just general BS that is cluttering our reality. And so I think, you know, do you want to contribute to the noise or do you want to try to be conscious about offering uh, tools that, that improve people's well-being, uh, quality of life and everything like that? So I, I don't, it's a hard thing to answer. I think that, I think that, you know, some people can, if, if there's, if, if they get overwhelmed by, you know, this kind of wellness movement, I I think that if they take it in little pieces and kind of isolate, you know, what they're trying to work on and it doesn't always have to be a product, right? That's the whole thing. These are all tools and, and it's a reminder to exercise more. It's a reminder to, you know, take a nap in the afternoon. Uh, It's a reminder to drink more water. It's a reminder to just do things to, you know, help us stay healthy and try Mm -hmm. to be happy and, and figure out a way to cope with like being human Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this crazy ass time. I mean, um, so to me, all these wellness tools, they're just like everything else. There's a bunch of bad music. There's a bunch of bad food. There's a bunch about everything. It's just weeding through to figure out what resonates with, with the individual and what can actually be a positive, uh, contributor to, well-being and and whatever that is for each person, you know, Mm -hmm. I think since the beginning of time, we've probably looked, uh, to things to help self-medicate and, and cope. 
And there hasn't always been a toolkit of, of really healthy options, you know, whether it's alcohol or, you know, uh, uh, drugs, abuse, whatever it is. I mean, now I just think there's so many things that we have access to through podcasts or the silver lining of social media, learning about, wow, I can take cordyceps and not drink coffee and feel really energized. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm listening to a book right now called Rest that's just reminding me that the harder I work, if I just don't stop, doesn't mean I'm actually going to be more productive, you know, like just learning how to tune. It feels like tuning, you know, tuning our, our existence, tuning our, our way we move in the world. And, and, uh, and the other thing is, is pharmaceuticals have always been such a huge, uh, patch and uh, such Mm -hmm. a huge industry from a financial perspective. And, to offer uh, alternatives that are empowering on an individual level with transparency and source and empowering people to trust their bodies and make their decisions because we always look to quote unquote health professionals to tell us how we feel or how we, how, how, I mean, listen, Western medicine is phenomenal and we're really lucky to have access to what we have, but it's, it's only part of it really for me. So, uh, you know, it's so so many people are prescribed anti-anxiety medication just as an example. And really there's a couple other things you can do instead of putting a, a, a synthetic form pharmaceutical drug in your body. So I, I'm sure that, that Bayer, any of these big, you know, monolithic uh, pharmaceutical companies don't like the idea of people not being dependent on their drugs but they're also mm-hmm. tied very directly into the food system, which is all about keeping people sick so that these pharmaceutical companies can continue to feed them medication. Mm-hmm. And if we can inspire people to use these tools that are, are accessible to them, good food, exercise, healthy water, and natural plant remedies, mm-hmm. be a whole different world. Yeah. I mean, I think that it hits on sort of just the sea of information we're kind of all swimming around in right now. And I tend to find myself in, you know, I seek out other perspectives and things like that, but I, I do end up in my own bubble of like, oh, well, isn't everybody talking about this? Isn't this at the forefront of everyone's sort of priority list? And I have to have a reality check with myself from time to time and be like, no, it's not actually. Like there's a lot of people out there that still don't, you know, aren't interested in kind of like looking at the more connected picture around how products are made and things like that. And I just, I I just think it's always interesting to talk to people who, who are actively marketing products in a different way. Like how, I guess in your estimation, you know, how far along are we in, in sort of mainstream culture, becoming more interested in um, exploring alternatives to not just alternative quote unquote medicine, which, you know, I don't, I'm not an expert in that, area, but just alternative ways of doing commerce, alternative ways of thinking about, you know, how to produce in light of the environment, things like that. It's, we're obviously hitting a bit of like a cultural junction around that conversation, but I'm just curious what that's like from your perspective. Well, I mean, I think we have to be realistic and acknowledge that there's a lot of people, uh, especially through COVID who have been very affected financially, uh, and otherwise. And, uh, there's a lot of people on the, I mean, fuck, it's insane. I mean, most people, a lot of people are just hanging on, I guess mm-hmm. is something I want to acknowledge. And, yeah. you know, I, I, we work really hard to make everything pencil out and work, but mm-hmm. 
it's not cheap to make what we make and we want to increase accessibility. We want to transcend socioeconomic boundaries. We don't make, uh, we we don't have a luxury product. We're not trying to be pretentious. We don't have a lot of packaging. We don't, we're not exclusive in who we communicate with and sell, Mm -hmm. sell with. We want this to be accessible to everyone. But the reality is, is that it, 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 it must be difficult to make a, a substantial change when, as an individual, you're just kind of trying to keep it going, you know? And so I think that that is a much larger conversation, uh, and, and challenge to get people, uh, access to alternative methods, which really are the old methods, getting people back to growing their own food and, and, and kind of, you know, canning and doing a lot of things on their own, making their own home remedies or, or using plant products. But, you know, kind of like pre-World War II, I guess, pre-industrialization. But uh, I, I think that it's going to start with people that have the ability to try these things. Like a lot of new technology, again, this is old technology, but it's new in our lifetime. Uh, new technology starts out with a few and then mm-hmm. it grows and evolves and, 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 and we learn how to make it uh, more accessible and more affordable. And then there's more demand and, and hopefully it trickles out in that way. But I mean, I think like the wellness movement feels very kind of uh, insulated and it's in these certain mm-hmm. bubbles of um, certain regions and certain, you know, uh, socioeconomic kind of brackets or groups. Um, but it's not a judgment of good or bad. It's just this is the reality of what it costs for us to make things this way. Mm-hmm. I think the next question is like, is it scalable? And is yeah. there a potential for it to become more accessible? And I think for sure, 100%. Yeah. Uh, but there also has to be a meeting in the middle of people that ask for it, demand it, and make conscious decisions to maybe not, you know, maybe they think about, you know, and I do this, I barely pay myself. It's like, well, I'm not going to have, you know, a $15 cocktail. I'd rather focus on having good food. You know, it's like we have mm-hmm. to, as a culture, regardless of our so- socioeconomic situation, think about what we invest in, you know, are we yeah. investing in our health or are we investing in things that are just kind of distracting us and it's clutter and junk and shit we don't need. So there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, but uh, I do think that what we're doing is scalable and what we're doing can continue to be more accessible to more people with time. We're, we're a part of the pioneering group. So it's just uh, it's small scale. And, and so we're just at the beginning. Nice. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, is there anything else that you want to share or want to add in terms of, again, I think the focus here is just to really help people understand the differences and nuances between, you know, generalized terms like sustainability, regenerative, biodynamic farming. I know that's not used as often, but I appreciate your sort of um, take on that and explaining the difference there and any other nuances of language that are important to sort of carry forward and thinking about this space and this kind of mental model. Well, I just think that the, the, one of the exciting things about this time and this opportunity is that this is uh, a, a democratic exercise. Yeah. This is, this, inv- this is uh, only going to work if the consumers can uh, vet out the BS and the noise and can support the folks that are really walking the walk. And, uh, 
you know, if, if, if someone claims that their product is, is regenerative or from a regenerative source, you know, it's good to, it's good to have visibility into, to what they're actually doing and, and just really kind of supporting this movement by encouraging your local stores to support brands that are verified, regenerative, certified, biodynamic, and then, yeah, and then directly supporting folks that are, that are doing it, um, in a, in a sincere way. And without the consumer, we, we, we're nothing, you know? So mm-hmm. that's, that's where this is very much a, uh, crowdsourcing, uh, yeah. communal democratic movement that is not coming from up down. This is not a corporation. We, we only can take a half a step forward when we can sell enough of our farm's oil, uh, mm-hmm. to, to keep growing this. So there's an acknowledgement and appreciation for the consumer and also an invitation to help us, uh, change things and help mm-hmm. us fight this, uh, extractive, destructive system that is not benefiting the land or the people in the long run, but rather the minority of, of, of corporations interest in the short term. So, you know, it's a rally cry to, uh, to join the forces to, to try to, you know, support businesses that are, that are really doing it. And just one more question. I know I said that that was the last, but I actually have another one is, you know, when you think about scalability, what does that mean? And, you know, how do you think about that in sort of a, I guess, more regenerative lens? Well, uh, I think, I think we have to change our systems to have more patient financial models and the short-term return lends itself to kind of only be tolerant of models that are uh, super easy and efficient. And mm-hmm. nature isn't really designed that way. It didn't evolve that way. Nature wants diversity. Nature wants checks and balances. It wants, uh, you know, there's a wildness to nature that doesn't really mesh up really well with the economics model that we operate around. So, you know, when we scale, I think we need to, we have to look at all pieces of it, right? We can't just grow more hemp. We have to look at how can we integrate with more farms that are growing food? So it's, it's a slower scaling in order to do it differently, but that's the problem is too quick of scaling means that you're kind of steering away from natural systems into more industrialized controlled systems, which in turn we've noticed have, have really caused a lot of issues. So as we scale, I think we just need to be conscious of taking a different path at every turn. And and that's something we look at, like everything we do is kind of counterculture and and anti-industrial. So we're we're not going to do all these things on this, in this style, but then take conventional VC funding. We're only going to work with people that look at slow, slow returns. You know, it has to all be in the same, in the same lens. We just, we, we can't, you know, if you're going to build a house that's made out of uh, straw bales or whatever, like you can't, you can't do just one part of it different and every part of it else is the same. Like you kind of have to continue to, to work in that, in that bushwhacking kind of pioneering spirit all the way through. So just being patient with the process and realizing that, you know, building a new system is going to be hard and going to take a while. Uh, but it's not really just about our generation. It's about Mm -hmm. all the rest of them. So taking our time to do it right 
uh, whatever that, what that, whatever that is. So, well, and I think that there is a big opportunity for, uh, generational momentum to pick up. So the newer generations coming up, I think have more of this thinking kind of instilled from a younger age, at least what, from what I can see is taking these issues more seriously and actually, you know, thinking through them holistically in, in just new, new ways. And I feel like when you have a certain part of the population trying to work on this stuff together, it does speed up the momentum and it can hit a tipping point to where balance scalability can grow uh, a little bit quicker and just move things along a little bit faster without compromising those values. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the coming generations, um, I mean, I'm terrified about their interaction and technology in one sense, but I'm also curious to see what they deem as acceptable or not. I know I've gotten guidance in the past by, you know, some old school business people. And I was like, wait, what? No, that's no, that's not. I don't do that shit. Like I'm not going to cut this person off or cut this person out just because on paper legally I can, like Mm -hmm. I care about this person, you know, and, and there's just a, there's kind of this old school mentality that I think there's a lot of valuable and beautiful assets and tradition. uh, But there's something in the past, like 50 or a hundred years that just feels, uh, I don't know. We got to reevaluate some of these things and I'm mm-hmm. excited to see what the, the younger people kind of bring to the table as far as what, what they feel is, is acceptable and a good way to move forward uh, with maybe more compassion and, and just common sense around how we do business and yeah, create products and whatnot. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I've just, the one thing that just came to mind is, you know, if and when, or as things collapse, you know, if you want to, if you believe that or not, it doesn't matter, but for the sake of the exercise, if they do, then mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be forced into decentralization and mm-hmm. decentralization means we need to be really resilient in regional ecosystems, food, yeah. economy, and otherwise. And, uh, and so I think thinking that way is really important right now whether it's plant medicine, hemp, CBD, beef, vegetables, whatever it is, is like, it's not just about being anti-industrial and anti-commodity. It's about being uh, survivalist. And it's about thinking about creating healthy, resilient communities across various spectrums and scales that uh, can withstand uh, the turbulence of what could be coming from a, from a climate and also economic mm-hmm. standpoint. Not to be a doomsday prepper, but every <laughs> every empire has collapsed pretty much, and so it's like it's good to think about how how we uh, how we're operating and and moving forward. So, but I think there's a lot of hope <laughs> to lead, to to twist it into a bright <laughs> a bright note. Is like it's getting people thinking, and you can either yeah. like just jump ship and and quit and bail, or you can you can stick with it and try to try to you know do things differently and, and do things, uh, better. So I think there's a lot of people that are, uh, fighting for the light and want to, well, and again, not to get down too far of a rabbit hole, but I actually think that there is potentially a pretty good opportunity with technology to kind of start swinging in a different direction in terms of being, you know, more of a support and a service to people versus it, 
serving primarily an economic need first. Um, so I think that a change in mentality from that perspective can also change the way that we implement and use technology and kind of help to um, learn more rapidly about our environment, things like that. Like I, I think technology has a huge opportunity to do good and not that it, I, I can't possibly blanket statement and say that technology has been all bad for humanity. I know we're having a moment where we're having to think really critically about the consequences of rapid technology building and advancement. Um, but I think that is another force that has to be sort of like reckoned and sort of balanced within this like larger ecosystem. I don't see technology really going away. So how can it be integrated in a future uh, that is supportive of people and giving people opportunities? And I know, you know, again, there is a lot of bad taste around capitalism and sort of how capitalists capitalism has worked in the past and has been erected. And I think that's all valid. And I wonder though, if using technology to help businesses connect with each other more readily, if that provides people opportunities to self-determine and have distributed communities, like without putting together actual solutions in this call. It's just like, how can technology be absorbed into the sort of fabric of progress in a way that is nurturing for people and not taking us further away from ourselves and from each other, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind to me is like nature will always self-correct. I mean, mm. you know, you could say that the earth is in decline from like just the fact that it's a, it's a living thing and it's, it's, that's kind of a whole other rabbit hole. But the thing about technology is that right now there's, there are individuals that are in control of millions. And until for me, uh, I, I skew towards striving for a life of being a Luddite uh, for me and, until things are like truly transparent, mm-hmm. uncensored and democratized and open source. Like I don't use cyber coin, Bitcoin, any of that stuff. But what uh-huh. I think is interesting about it is that it's a shared it's the concept, the theory, as far as I understand, is that it's shared knowledge of, of open source information, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that, to me, reflects in some abstract way uh, nature's ability to uh, regulate, balance, mm-hmm. talk about balance. But right now, as it is, don't trust tech, not interested for the most mm-hmm. part, uh, until, it crea- until it's offered to the people in a way that isn't so uh, pyramid shaped and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very very skeptical of of any use of technology. But at the same time, you know, I was at a conference and there's a guy that invented these GPS collars for cattle, which means you don't have to put fences up. And I think, uh-huh. damn, that's really cool, right? right? So there are a ton of examples of technology being really beneficial. But for me personally, there's a lot of mistrust because of most of mm-hmm. what I see. And until it's somehow restructured in a way that's powered by the people, like, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, but it also, it's just a tool like anything else. Like a gun is a tool. Guns aren't bad. The the people that use them for bad things are bad, but guns are also used for really productive things, at least in my ecosystem of getting food, you know, it's just how it's used technology, I suppose. And hopefully there will be more shining examples of technology being used for the good than for the bad, uh, in coming mm-hmm. years. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely another area ripe for rethinking. And I, I just think it's hard to, you know, how do you, using a website is a technology platform, you know, yeah. using social media to get messages out there is a, you know, technology function. And it's just like, absolutely 100%. There are huge swaths of that ecosystem that need to be looked at and critically thought through. But again, I do think that the younger generations have an interest in weaving these more um, empathetic uh, functions into our everyday, you know, products, including technology. And, you know, we'll remains to be seen what will come out of that. But But yeah, it's interesting to just have this conversation because it's obviously all of these things are kind of at the intersection of what it means to be doing business today. So, Oh yeah, it's a necessary evil for us at this point. But uh, yeah, got to keep an open mind and see what people start to bring to the table. And and, uh, if I could have it my way, we wouldn't even do Facebook ads or Google ads. Like I want to create like a quarterly print journal where we just constantly remind people that we respect their consciousness and their space. And we don't Mm want to advertise. We don't want to flood their inbox. We we want to create really good products and be there when they need us. Like I would love to explore a completely different model of, of B2C. I just think it's really risky. Well, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Let's catch up soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.